Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Puppet Podcast. My name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a product manager here at Puppet, and I have here in the studio with me today Brian Bellinger. Hi, Brian. How's it going, Eric? Good. Did I say your name correctly? You, you did say it correctly. Um, so we're, you know, um, Bellinger. It's a. Uh, it's like the Americanized, bastardized version of it. Um, I tell people is it, it's like it's like Smith. In Canada, uh, you know where my my answers are from. You know the the Great White North of Canada. It's um, if you go in Canada, um, hopefully you have some Canadian listeners. Belanger, so give a shout out to them. But uh, it is uh, Bellinger uh, since since coming to the U.S. Excellent. I I, I would wouldn't be surprised if they actually call it Belanger A right in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> where's our drum? Where's our uh... Yeah, that's the best I could do. No, no Foley here today. We, uh, well, intros aside and co- uh, terrible attempts at comedy aside, we're here today to talk about some uh, work that you've been doing with Puppet and some of the related tools. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about some of the work that's been going on, particularly in the federal and security space. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what your company does and uh, kind of what what you've been working on lately? Sure. Um, until recently, uh, um, our company's just name just changed, uh, but we worked heavily in. Um, well, there was a need. There was a need uh, for our customer to move to cloud, and um, in this case, it was a federal space, and there's a lot of concerns. I mean, you know, whenever you move something as enormous as the federal government anywhere, it takes a lot of time and effort. But security is a big thing. It's you know, it's like those, that, that knee jerk reflexive reaction. So. Um, you know, big solution to a lot of problems. Uh, it, you know, on the outside, it's the cloud versus what we're spending internally. Even though it's internal dollars, it, it, it's millions, right? Yeah. Um, we needed to save money. We needed to make things faster. Um, we needed to get visibility, but, you know, it, it's it's frustrating. There's there's customers, you know, who want to deliver. You know, I mean, I mean, this time I mean internal customers to the federal government. They want to deliver and they just can't. Uh, cloud is going to be able to open up a lot of that. You know, saving money is almost a byproduct. There is no customer, it's hard to get customer visibility in a lot of these things. But uh, one of the big things is, is um, how, how do we get to the cloud? So the big thing in the federal government is authority to operate. And uh, the security wants to know, hey, you know, that sounds great and all that, but um, what we're going to need is uh, we need a way to make things audible, trackable. You know, how do we make sure our stuff is? So there's just a, a general idea that if you're in what's called an ATO environment, that everything is locked down to a certain extent, which is acceptable. You're going to the great big cloud. You know, it's kind of scary. So we're trying to address a problem that is just generally accepted internally for a while, but is actually kind of like an elephant in the room. In this case, it's with Windows security. Windows has, you know, their their thing is called group policy. Yep, I'm familiar with it. Yep, um, it it work, it does what it's supposed to do, but um, the big issue um, that security has is audit tracking. So if you say you create a group policy rule to um, enforce this particular security thing, it's going to do it. The problem is, is it's going to do it all behind the scenes. You just assume it's working well. What we needed is a way to say, you know, this event happened, this drift happened. And uh, now you have a report. Now it's audible. Now you can even launch an investigation. 
Um, we didn't have that before. There was actually a second byproduct. Well, I'll get to that in a second. So what we, we needed is in the window space, we needed a way to enforce DOD stick. DOD kind of uh, the Cadillac of, you know, security standard. Right. Everybody wants to follow the DOD. It's, it's, um, is that the STIG? The STIG. Um, not, not from Top Gear, but the STIG. <laughs> yes. So uh, we, we, we go in and... Um, you know, our company uh, developed a, a series of modules that enforce, you know, like 90% of it. And um, that, that's where it began. So now we have a way, you know, if you are in the federal space and you want to move to the cloud and you likely have some IIS in-house, you now have everything needed to meet, you know, usually your ATO, um, some, I don't know, that submission, what do you want to call it? You can now, you now have your authority to operate Another byproduct, you know, which, which kind of happened secondhand, but um, almost every company, or I should say almost, I haven't met one that does it, they have their own flavor of security. You know, so, yeah, DOD is, is nice, but we have, you know, our customized version of security. Uh, everything we did was generally written in, you know, as puppet resources. Um, in this case, they were I'm trying to find the word, but... Um, you can reverse engineer. Um, so if if you install Puppet on your Windows machine, you say, give me back all of um, this particular rule. You can reverse engineer what you're having. So I can go in to your environment, install Puppet, install these modules. I can reverse engineer exactly what you have into a nice Puppet manifest. I see. I can pick it up. I can move it to cloud. I can stand up a brand new domain controller in my own VPC and uh, the cloud. So um, those are the two big benefits we came out of it. And um, that does sound like a core uh, puppet use case. I mean, that's a, that sort of hits on a lot of the strengths of puppets architecture as the ability to take those resources and present them uh, in uh, infrastructure as code just by discovering what's out there. If the modules use, if you have types and providers that use the uh, instances um, method inside of them, you can run puppet resource against a running system mm -hmm. and get back that text description of what the resources are that are available and how they're configured. So as you said, you can just take that and apply it to a new system and be, have a high degree of assurance that you're introducing repeatability and you're sort of correcting drift as it happens. Mm -hmm. Sounds 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 pretty awesome. Did you have to go in and write uh, custom types inside of those or that, were you able to do most of that stuff with the built-in types that are in Puppet? We had to, well, we, we had to write a lot of custom types. There's just no answers about it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I like to say like, yeah, we could use uh, Puppet to find types or, um, you know, we were able to adopt a lot, but we had to do it in a lot of, um, most of our is custom. We got, we got really good at Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> say about it. We got really good at Ruby, but, um, you know, we're proud of the work. Um, we're seeing adopt adaptability. Um, we're actually hoping more people pick it up. Uh, we've run across, you know, at least a couple of service delivery um, providers that are planning on adopting in their own federal organizations. But, you know, I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see it commoditized. I'd like to people just say, pick it up and use it. There's no reason not to. You know, yeah, awesome. You know, if I break a few things, you know, please, please do testing. But, um, but uh, yeah, you know, go ahead, use it. It is one thing that's going to close down one of the layers of the onion right away, you've immediately made your uh, environment, whatever it is, much safer. So were you able to put those modules up on the Puppet Forge? Yep. They've been out there. Um, 
Yeah, I think I want to say about a year and a half, two years. I'm sure we'll put a link in the show notes at the bottom here, but just could you tell the listeners what the uh, what name to search for on the forge so they can find them easily? Yeah, it will be under uh, Fervid, um, and there's going to be one that's called Window Hardening. It is not out there yet. It'll be out there in the next two days. Excellent. That's really cool. Yeah, Forge is a great resource, and hopefully we can get some more broad usage of that kind of code. Their reusability of it is uh, just a huge advantage, and well as as well as you know just having that uh, crowdsourced kind of QA and testing and bug fixes and you know getting a, an active community around it is is one of the things that I think Puppet does really really well in our uh, community ecosystem. Can you talk about what the uh, I know sometimes there's some sensitivity around government stuff, but you can talk about what the customer was, like what department it was and kind of what their main uh, use case was for, for the servers that they were running. And if, if uh, we have to redact this part and it ends <laughs> up being just like 30 minutes of, of uh, silence, you'll know why. Um, I, would love, I would love to share the customer. Um, I can't. And unfortunately, there's, there's various reasons for that. Yep, no problem. Um, just figured I'd ask the question. Yep. Uh, and were you using um, the, the, the modules in sort of a standalone mode, or did you have them integrated into a larger Puppet Enterprise infrastructure, or how did you work with the, you mentioned the reporting and audit logs that came out of it. Can you talk a little bit about the stuff outside of the modules themselves and how that fit into a larger uh, Puppet architecture? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things that our customer in the government or anything regulatory needs is they need to audit report. Um, and the best way to do it, you know, we saw is through, you know, the enterprise. So it's always had the enterprise in mind to be able to get your reports in a GUI that you can see, um, you know, you keep it tracked. There's these grandiose plans of, you know, integrating with other third-party tools. Um, you know, hopefully it'll happen someday. It hasn't happened yet, but at least right now you have an ability to say something happened, it happened at this time, who was on there doing what, when, and I believe um, that was just a need that needed to be filled. Yeah, it's a uh, completely open, uh, completely open license, and it, it's intended to be used with Puppet Enterprise. Awesome. We're, uh, have you explored any of the other, or were you able to integrate for this, or maybe for other customers, some of the capabilities in some of the newer Puppet Enterprise releases, such as Bolt and Tasks and Task Plans, have you gotten into that that kind of realm at all? Yeah, I, um, same customer. I, I talked a little bit of story earlier. So um, they have kind of like this uh, I call it half pregnant situation. Typically, you have a, a cloud provider, which was being marketed as. Um, but what the situation was, there was this rule that the cloud provider in this case. Uh, was going to manage the OS and below, and you guys would manage everything OS and up. And um, it, it wasn't a good setup. Uh, it caused a lot of issues. So uh, one day we walk in, you know, and like I said, security is a big thing. Uh, in this case, they're, um, you know, a Red Hat company. Mm -hmm. A Red Hat customer, you know, you need to run your basic YUM, keeps everything patched, you know, at the OS mm -hmm. level. That was on us. Um, so... Walk in one morning, you can't do anything. The yum's broken. So it's like, hey, cost, you know, hey, provider, um, how about you know fix our stuff? And I don't know why, but they're like, well, um, no. What you can do is you can run these three commands on every like 1,200, 1,000, somewhere north of 1,000 nodes you have. 
Um, you know, doing the back of the math calculation, we did this a little earlier. It's uh, what are we going to spend? Uh, everybody gets on the computer and they log in one at a time to every single box. They can go ahead and uh, fix this over three, four days. I mean, that was their answer. Wow. Seems like there ought to be a better way. Uh, you think, you know, like at the very least, like you guys log in and fix it. But no, that's that's now things are done in this uh Customer satisfaction, I guess, was uh, not their thing. So um, the big question is, you know, the operator like, what do we do? I said, I think we have a solution here. We uh, took those, roughly, we took those three commands. Um, we created a bolt task forum. And our, our job went down to, you know, like, what, 10 minutes? Something like that. Four days to 10 minutes. Um, it was a nice tackle thing when bolt was early on. But it was uh, uh, an early success, uh, immediate impact. And uh, we've done similar things since then, but that really, um, you know, saved a lot of headache and heartache. That's pretty substantial time reduction. If you can do it in 10 minutes and then spend the rest of the three days uh, playing solitaire. Yeah. That's in good shape. That's, that's, I, I haven't had too much experience working in government agencies, but I assume that's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to strike my shoulders. <laughs> Well, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Bolt. I mean, I think it's, we, we did a podcast uh, a month or so ago that was all about Bolt and that came out really good. And, even, you know, I I was involved in the project when we were just starting out and I'm still kind of keep a finger in there, but it's not my primary day job anymore. And occasionally it just shocks me when I, I go away for a month or two and I'm working on something else and I come back and Bolt has gained all of these amazing capabilities in that intervening couple of months. It's just the project's moving really fast and it's just expanding in the amount of ecosystem and the kinds of tasks that people have written for it, as well as the core capabilities of the tool. It's just really been kind of a runaway success and I'm, I'm just warms my heart to see that stuff out in the world, actually solving people's problems. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure the impetus with it, but it was something that was needed. I, I thought me even realizing it, but, uh, you saw the impact immediately. I mean, Puppet was the best in the space. But certain things it didn't do well or couldn't do. I mean, I would uh, remember in the old days, uh, I and other providers, we would um, spend hours writing, you know, Ruby stuff to do one-time things. or would run all these execs. Uh, execs are like fingernails across a chalkboard for me. Um, so um, it was nice to do this. And... What I saw the impact in in some of the organizations I've been in is, um, you know, I, I put on two two big advantages. The big one I saw right away is I'm able to create things that are parameterized. You know, it's 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 a semi formal language. You know, I know you can PowerShell things, you can um, you can uh, write Linux shell scripts, et cetera, et cetera. But um, this allows you to formally have a parameterized, strong check. You know, if you're using plans, way of doing things. I'm able to take this. I'm able to handle it to some of the less technically astute operations team, and they can start sysadmining. They can start sysadmining. They don't have to learn the Linux stuff or the, the Windows stuff. They, they're, they're able to operate right away. Um, and, of course, like I said uh, earlier, is what... You know, now with the Puppet Enterprise, you know, we now have the auditability. So I have real pieces of code that act like real code that is, um, we're able to hand off to auditors. Once again, particularly in the regulatory space, it solved a big problem I didn't see being solved before. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I think this, that type system is so powerful. It's one of the, you know, Bolt kind of is independent from Puppet in a lot of ways, but it's also closely related to Puppet. So if there's, we, if there's lessons that you learned, if there's uh, techniques or, or parts of the language syntax that you're used to, from from using Puppet, you can translate those over into Bolt. And I think the type system is one of those examples where it's you you can almost opt into it and you can just have very lightweight kind of type checking or you can get really pretty pretty intense with it and say like if you have it's it's a great example too of being able to hand something off to a a knock team or kind of a, a help desk kind of team and make sure that for each of the parameters that feed into a task or a plan that they, you know, if, if, if it's a service, there's only a few things that you can do to a service. You can get its status, you can stop it, you can start it, you can reload it. And having those actions be well-defined inside of the type system means that if somebody tries to do something crazy to a service, it just errors out even before it tries to run. It's not even gonna execute that command because it'll fail type checking before before Bolt even executes the thing. And I think that's that it provides the guardrails that lets the those tasks be reusable and be uh, shareable more broadly than just uh, me you know running things out of my home directory which is i think kind of where where people started out solving that problem yeah i think what's open also open up and help us see more of this is um there's a lot of really good enterprise software out there that until i think bolt came out um which just not able to be installed and managed in the old way of doing this. To me, this is going to open up um, ability to automate these more complex platforms, these more complex installs. This, uh, I think, we're going to see bigger visibility across infrastructure as a whole with plans. You know, I've seen some of the some of the POC stuff I've seen out there. You know, pass a few parameters. Now it'll manage the network and the and the thing. I mean. Puppet tried to address this, um, but I think Bold is going to knock that door down. So I, I think it's really just beginning. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it too. There's lot, lots of good stuff going on. Uh, let's shift gears for a minute. You, we were talking about the cloud migration a little bit, and I'm wondering if there are cloud or, uh, or containerized kinds of infrastructure that you're also responsible for managing and how you're able to take uh, some of the... You know, we mentioned taking some of the system descriptions from on-prem systems and applying them to new VPCs in the cloud. Are you also managing cloud resources themselves using any of the the Puppet tool chain? No, I mean that's this, the short answer is no. Um, you know, I I'm expecting it's going to happen with future engagements, but past engagements it really hasn't. Um, we did a lot of POC stuff, and. Um, you know, that's, uh, but unfortunately, I don't have any great stories around, you know, except getting some applications, uh, legacy applications to the cloud. That's, that's what we've, I've been focused on. I see. So it's more about mig migrating the workloads over rather than actually managing the cloud infrastructure itself. That's correct. Yep. That's, that's perfectly all right. That's actually a pretty common story that we've heard. Uh, and we're working on some new projects that you may or may not have heard of that attempt to address some of those problems and uh, try to bring some of the lessons from classical or traditional configuration management into some of these more cloud-native arenas mm -hmm. uh, for managing uh, Kubernetes applications and uh, cloud-native infrastructure. Uh, I, the project that I've been working on for the past few months called Lyra is a pretty 
interesting tool in that regard. It's just kind of uh, has some of the concepts from Puppet. So again, we bring over the type system. There's a Go Hira implementation. So if you have an investment or an existing Hira hierarchy in YAML files, uh, the Go Hira implementation can use those in a compatible way with the Ruby one. But the goal is really about orchestrating the different parts of a cloud native application deployment rather than doing ongoing configuration management on systems because one of the paradigm shifts in cloud native is that the idea of like running an agent on a system and making changes to it live is kind of not really applicable anymore. It's kind of a different different mind shift where we're running immutable infrastructure and if I want to make a change, I'll just make a new one upstream and let my continuous delivery pipeline bring that out into production. Yeah, and I know it's what's being seen by the customers. We don't want agents running uh, more and more becoming, you know, comfortable with the pet's cattle model, uh, which I'm assuming people listening to this are familiar with. But um, I think that's a square on the puppet bingo card too. Actually, is a reference <laughs> to pets uh, to cattle, not pets. Uh, oh, so it's not like a drinking game where we take a <laughs> shot when. Uh... You can play if you're playing along at home. You probably can uh, here here in Portland. It's two uh, thirty in the afternoon, so it's a little early to get get into that. Okay. Um, so so I, I was uh, you know I was asked some things about Lyra. You know when it was being talked about, um, and you know everyone it's kind of familiar with you know what's the most popular tool in this space. Um, I'm kind of wondering you know you know and I, I don't know if this could be talked about or not. What what Lyra's approach is? I mean I know. What I don't like about the other tool, what I do like about the other tool, I'm hoping Lyra will address those some of things. But I was wondering um, where, where, where Lyra is trying to fit into the space. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, one of the main goals is that we want to be we want to enable reuse of existing content ecosystems. I think there's a lot of great work that people have done in uh, application deployment on the Kubernetes with respect to Helm. Is kind of the the tool that everybody's converged on. And there's a rich library, kind of like the Puppet Forge, of Helm charts that describe how to put applications out on the Kubernetes. As far as resource provisioning and kind of that initial setup, I think Terraform's a great tool. There's a lot of rich uh, content out there that people have built either for their site specifically or they built modules up out of Terraform and shared them on the Terraform registry. And we want to enable reuse of those things without forcing people to rewrite stuff they've already done into a different syntax just to make use of Lyra itself. So the idea with Lyra is more that you'd be able to string those pieces together in a workflow rather than take over the role of being a Terraform or being a Helm. So if your application requires like creating some infrastructure, deploying apps onto it, and then like sending some notifications, you know, a stopping a pager duty maintenance or sending a Slack or chat ops notification once the deployment's all done. We see Lyra as being the thing that links those pieces together and allows you to introduce some control flow and some logic and bind these different technologies together in a common language rather than trying to take the place of any one of those things that's already out there. Oh, so it sounds like Terraform will be a possible integration point with Lyra. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But it's still really early. We're still working on it. But yeah, that's, that's why I was kind of asking the question. To, I'm always... Uh, trying to find people that have problems with that we can maybe help solve because as I said, it's, it's a, it's only been out for uh, a, a month really in a usable form. And um, I'm just, you know, like kind of 
rattling a cup around trying to find people to try my thing out and let me know if they like it or not. So, well, everyone hates the TF State file. We've certainly heard a lot about about Terraform State, uh, and you know, I think one of the one of the users I talked to at uh, at KubeCon a couple of weeks ago said that at their site it's like a rite of passage that everybody at some point has to destroy everything in the infrastructure using you know by by they, they messing hate up their customers yeah at, yeah at, at, at uh, destroy everything in by messing up the Terraform state file and like once you do that then you're like part of the club and you can move on with your job well all that's good stuff I hope I hope you can give it a try maybe we can talk more and get, do a little uh, demo offline or something like that I'd be mm -hmm. be curious to hear your thoughts on on where we're at. Any other kinds of uh, it, what's what's interesting to you? Like what's what's really sparked your interest in terms of technology? It doesn't even have to be puppet related, but is there anything that you've come across in the last, you know, three to six months that you're like, oh man, I gotta, uh, this is this is really something I'm interested in. I want to learn more about this. Yeah, three. So that's three to six months have been fairly busy. I, I ha wish I could say, yeah, there's this shiny new key out there that I want to grab. I haven't. Um, I've been very closely you know watching puppets new um products um and i know they're you know they're trying out new things um one thing i had been excited about for a while was the insight product and it looks like it's undergoing some changes now but um what i had seen over and over again uh you know like in places i've worked before or been part of before is there's typically a strategic offering most of what I've seen in Puppet has been, you know, um, tactical, and I understand why. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping that this product moves forward. I, I see it as a, a possible strategic play. It's nice to be able to go in and transform companies. You know, yes, you can add some automation here and there, and they're going to be better off for it. You know, um, one reason we share in the community is because I want people to adopt it. We're all better off for it. I want you, I don't want you reinventing the wheels, but I, um, you know, I like the idea of being able to measure DevOps, and I'm hoping that'll allow um, you know real transformation to take place. So that's one of the things I've been watching closely. I've talked with people today about that. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts or insight about that. I think, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think we're what one of the things that we're really interested in is like just just like you said about uh, making visible what's going on across the organization. And we think about Puppet as kind of like starting out and, you know, our heart is really with the person on the keyboard making changes. And our tools are very squarely focused generally on making their lives easier. Uh, Yvonne, our CEO, has this phrase about eliminating soul-crushing work. And that's kind of like where, like I said, where our heart is. But we know from the last 10 years of working on this that just having, making one person more powerful and eliminating their job isn't really sufficient. You've got to spread that love across to the team that the person's working on and ultimately across the organization. And the broader you go with that, you also have to raise the elevation at which you're working and provide tools and visualizations that work not just for the person that's making the change, but for the team and for that larger organization. One of the things that I'm really excited about with respect to our products recently has been the CD for PE tool, which d does provide that kind of uh, visualization about what's going to change when, you know, what, what's going to happen as a consequence of this change. I think it's really pretty, pretty powerful. And it lets people feel more safe about making changes because they 
can more easily predict what's going to happen. And the visualizations and kind of that audit log plus the predictive uh, capabilities of it that say, hey, uh, when when this change goes to production, these are the nodes that are going to be affected and here's what's going to happen to them. I think that that sort of up-levels the conversation a little bit and lets people who are outside of the core team that's really in in the guts of Puppet every day, lets them make change with confidence. And we want to continue that and kind of continue to expand that focus or broaden out that focus and keep moving upwards in the organization and up the stack so that, like you said, you have an, a, a more uh, comprehensive idea of how your organization's doing overall, not just how a particular server is doing or how your pub infrastructure is doing. So that's, yeah, that's definitely an area that we're really interested in looking at over the next next uh, months and years. Yeah, no, um, that'd be nice to have. Uh, I just want to quite just feel is, um, yeah, there's a lack, lack of visibility. Um, just in the data center, and I know where everyone's going is most people have multiple place and multiple providers. They need a way to glue it together, and um, they need to do something more than just deliver applications in CD um, CD manner. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been able to look at it. I, I expect, um, I believe my next engagement will be touching on that, so I'm, I'm excited to see what it's about. So CD for PE is a tool for creating testing pipelines to get code out into production, but the actual tests that you perform in each of those stages is sort of left up to you. There's some templates and some some other tools that are out there. Uh, I'm curious what kind of tests you run across your modules. Are you using any of the tools that are out in the community ecosystem like RSpec and uh, Beaker and ServerSpec and our new Litmus? I'm not sure if you had a chance to look at it, but we have a new... Uh, open source testing tool called Litmus. Can you talk a little bit about your uh, kind of methodology or your philosophy of testing and what, what tools uh, you use for testing public code? My background is, is um, I'm actually from the development side, which is maybe, I seem to be in the minority here. Most of the people seem to come from the administration side. Um, to me, it's a natural fit, but um, you know, I already had gears of leading teams and uh, we, I've seen it over and over again where um, Things would, you know, in, in development side, it's, you're expected to test. It's just the way it is. Um, so when I saw that it became generally available for Puppet, it became big. It, uh, we had an issue um, it, which allowed me to bring it in, uh, which I, I hate talking about. But we had, a, you know, one of the developers made a mistake. And if we had had our spec, it would have saved that's a big tr problem. Uh, what we had is um, it was a uh, one of the modules on the Forge. Um, I forgot exactly which it was, but it handled SSH. We had a rule in there that basically says, you know, purge all the rules unless they're explicitly defined. Ah. And that wasn't brought over correctly. Um, if we had had our spec testing, um, that would have been, you know, a five-minute test, and we wouldn't have literally locked ourselves out of the servers. You know, it's one of those stories. Fortunately, everything was okay. There's a back door, but um, it was uh, scary for a, a long while. So, um, our spec testing—that's uh, that's that's the the waterline. I want basically every resource to at least you know ensure or not ensure anything critical. 
Um, I mean, maybe I'm going into a dialogue about how to test, but um, we did that with our, our STIG modules. I believe every resource is tested, and I'm hoping um, as that as it evolves in the user space that they add respective RSpec tests to it. So I guess is that uh, the other thing is, is, you know, as a general rule, you know, from the development space, once again, because everyone's like, well, what's the right level? You know, do I test every parameter? Do I test, you know, um, do I test every particular thing that we can and can't do with RSpec? I mean, that's, of course, the answer is no. But uh, my, my recommendation, you know, what I do with the juniors is, Make sure everything exists or doesn't exist. Test what you think is critical. To me, testing is an evolutionary thing. What I say is, I don't want you making the same mistake twice. Let's take our SSH general thing. It's never going to happen again because there is, in this case, it's once over on the control repo. Once over says, make sure that these two parameters and these values are in place or you stop right now. Um, it's going to save you... It, it's it, it's an investment. You're putting in a little bit more effort to make sure everything runs smoothly. Um, so what are, how does it evolve? You're not going to do it perfectly. You know, no one is. And even though I hear, like, people get upset about bugs, you know, over time, I think it's it just um, a, a wrong mindset. What I don't want to see is I don't want to see a bug happen twice. So that's how your testing suite gets larger. A bug happens, um, number one, you create a test that shows you the correct state. You run it, and then it should fail again. If it doesn't, there's something wrong with your test. Then you fix it. And if you've become a, a – I want to see when I see a professional software engineer, and I like to see this in puppet space, is you should get to the point where you're comfortable writing your test first and then writing the code. Sure. Absolutely. You have a double check, and you're going to th- see things run a lot smoother going forward. I think um, that's one of the key th- – I mean, we mentioned infrastructure as code earlier, and that's one of those key things that is a characteristic of a good system that allows you to represent infrastructure as code. It's not just, is it text? Can it be checked into version control? But can it be tested? Can you make assertions about what the code's going to do without actually running it? And, yeah, those, that – that test, bringing that test-driven development methodology into infrastructure code is one of the things that Puppet, I think, led the way on a long time ago, and it's still like such, such a core part of the uh, experience of using it and writing it and running it in production is like getting that high degree of confidence before it actually goes out into the world that it's going to do the right thing. So that, that's it. Um, our spec was a minimum. We did our acceptance testing. Um, I've done a, a fair amount of Beaker in Linux. I had trouble doing it in Windows. My expectation, and I'm pretty excited about Litmus, is I'm hoping that they iron out some of the difficulties users have had with Beaker. Um, so a, a solid acceptance testing, they'll be the full scope and allow us to deliver and test cleanly. So um, that, that's, it's just it's, it's a hope. It, I guess you asked what I was excited about. I'm excited about the, the promise of Litmus, and I hope it's being realized. Yeah, uh, again, for the for listeners, uh, Brian mentioned a couple of tools there. The first one is OnceOver, which is a open source toolkit that was originally developed by Dylan Ratcliffe, who's a professional services person here at Puppet, to do testing of control repositories like you talked about. And then Litmus is a new tool that uh, is kind of an evolution for that acceptance level testing for modules so that you can fire off a uh, server, fire off an agent, make sure that the agent gets a catalog correctly and that the behavior once the catalog's applied is what you want. So that's a kind of a more expensive test than just 
an RSpec test, which is more of a unit level test, but it actually shows you what is going to happen on the systems when it's when it's live. And yeah, Litmus is definitely, I would say, informed by the lessons that the team that wrote it had from trying to run Beaker and uh, you know it uses Bolt under the hood as the engine for going out and making stuff happen on systems so we get a little bit of reusability and you can plug into the bolt content ecosystem as well through through using the the litmus testing tool i think maybe we're at the, the end of the conversation any parting words uh, that you want to leave the listeners with no i'm just uh glad to be part of um puppet sphere uh thank you for having me on i appreciate it and i'm excited to move forward puppet right on thanks for being on and have safe travels back home thank you